thrilled to be here today and appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak before you. Appreciate the invitation by your leadership here to come and spend this time with you this next week. We've been talking about leadership and your congregation has been talking about leadership for some time. Uh, I had the privilege of listening to your podcast channels on those sermons, and fantastic job, guys. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I love to talk about leadership. I think leadership is one of the essential things that is challenging in most congregations. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about elders and deacons, although that is true, that statement's true for elders and deacons as well. But it's dads in homes, it's fathers, it's leadership, it is people, it's moms, it's, it's students at school. Every one of us lead or ought to be leading. We are leading somebody. And I want to start off with this verse in Matthew chapter 15 and verse number 14. Let them alone, they be blind, leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. The question is, where are you leading people? The reality is you're leading someone. Where are you leading them? Are you leading them in a ditch? Are you've got people following you and you're headed toward destruction? Are you leading them toward effective Christianity? Are you leading them toward effective Christian living? That is the question. I love the subject of leadership. I love working with leadership teams. I'm happy to share with you this week and going to do that some of my personal experiences with congregations. We started a congregation years ago from the ground up we had nothing, and today that congregation's got elders and deacons in place and, and families and that type of thing. I'm happy to share some of those experiences with you. I promise you it's not an ego trip for me. It is not, and every one of us need to check our egos at the door when it comes to leadership. Effective leadership is not ego trips. In fact, that's the exact opposite of effective leadership. Humility is a part of leadership. But in the process of teaching this week, I'm going to share with you some experiences along those lines. I, I beg for a little mercy along those lines because all I can draw from are experiences and things like that that I've, that I've participated in. I've been involved in full-time church work for 37 years, not telling you that to brag. I'm just telling you that in 37 years, you have a lot of experiences that you draw from. And though it is that experience that I want to try to bring to the table to you this week. I preached meetings in Amarillo, Texas on North Carolina Street when there were 12 people in the room. I've had experiences with this congregation. I'm telling you, this congregation's in a different place today than it was in 1983 when I held a meeting in Amarillo, Texas on North Carolina Street with 12 people in the room. God bless you guys. May God's countenance shine down upon you in the decisions you make as a congregation regarding leadership. I want to talk to you this morning about some principles of effective leadership. The reality is we all lead. The question is, is it effective leadership? There's an individual by the name of John Maxwell who's written a lot of different books, basically in the business world, although they have Christian principles to them. But one of the things he talks about in Leadership 101 is he talks about the lid effect. He said your effectiveness as, an, as a leader is going to be capped, it's going to be, you're going to have a lid on it based upon how good your leadership skills are. Your effectiveness as a congregation is going to be capped based on how good a leaders you have. That is just going to be true. 
If you want to expand your effectiveness as a congregation, your effectiveness in ministry, your effectiveness as a father, your effectiveness as a mother, your effectiveness of influencing people in Christ, in your school and college and things that you're involved in, true for all of us, if we want to increase our effectiveness, we have to increase our leadership skills. And I want to challenge you this morning to take some of these principles and involve them, incorporate them into who you are as a person into your life. First thing I want to mention is effective leaders delegate, and they involve other people. Effective leaders do not try to do and carry all the load themselves. They delegate. I want to give you some biblical examples for this. You remember the first Gentile church that was started, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch? The church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas up there to work with the church at Antioch. And Barnabas thought there's an individual by the name of Saul. He is now at Tarsus, and that individual could help in this work. So Barnabas went to seek out Saul there in Acts 11, 25, and 26. He worked with him in Antioch. And Saul had been in Tarsus since he had obeyed the gospel in Acts chapter 9, if you remember that story. Barnabas worked with John Mark. There were times when they tried to work with John Mark in the case of Paul working with John Mark, and John Mark wanted to go back to the house of the first missionary journey, and that didn't work out very well. But if you'll notice at the end of Paul's life, he calls for John Mark and sees him as useful to the ministry. Delegate, involve other people. Paul worked with Timothy, Silas, etc. And I want to encourage you in your leadership to involve other people. If you're a father and you want your son, your daughter, to understand how life works, and you're out working on your car, it's this simple, involve them. If your child is sitting in the living room watching TV and you're doing the brake job, they will never know how to do a brake job. Now, Lisa and I raised four girls. We're not experts in child rearing, I promise you. We had our challenges just like you have your challenges, but I'm telling you, we raised four girls. I want you sometimes, some of you know my daughters, I want you sometimes to ask them if they know how to change a tire. I want you to ask them sometimes if they know how to check the oil in their vehicle. I want you to ask them sometimes if they know how to mow a yard. I want you to ask them sometimes if they know what a speed square is. Because I'm telling you, they will never know if they're sitting in the living room on their iPad. Good leadership, effective leadership involves other people. We are constantly training. We are constantly giving opportunity for people to fulfill themselves in whatever aspect of life, and it's true in church work as well. You notice evangelists spend a lot of time bringing other people with them on meetings and different kinds. What are they doing? They're involving other people. They're helping to encourage others in this type of work. Elders, if you're going to go visit a hospital, take a deacon with you. Elders, if you're going to go visit a hospital, take one of your church members with you. Elders, if you want to visit the hospital, take somebody with you that's interested in ministry. Involve other people. Effective leaders lead moral lives. Your credibility will be shot as a leader. Your effectiveness as a leader will be shot if you do not lead a moral life. 1 Timothy chapter 3, some of the qualifications that you guys have been studying related to elders and deacons. Blameless, 
sober, of good behavior. Talking about that of the elder. Hebrews 13 and 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. 1 Corinthians 9, verse number 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Keep your own body in subjection. Control what you do with your body. Control what you think about. Control what you participate in. Because your effectiveness as a leader is directly determined by your moral life. Paul even recognized in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Sean, would you do me a favor? Effective leaders lead moral lives. And you need to recognize in your day-to-day decisions, if you are living an immoral life, it will affect your ability to lead. Fathers, you want to commit adultery in your wife? It affects your leadership in that home. Moms, you want to commit adultery in your husband? It affects your leadership in your home. Elders, deacons, you don't want to live a moral life? You want to go do what you want to do? Thank you, brother. It's going to affect your leadership in your home, in your congregation, in the people that you're trying to be effective with. Thank you. Effective leaders have vision. Brother Sean talked about this the other night a little bit. Effective leaders have vision. Where there's no vision, the people perish. People say, oh, you can't use that verse. That's talking about prophetical vision. And I can use that verse. And I don't care if it's talking about prophetical vision. I just want to tell you, if there's no godly vision, there's perishment and destruction on the end of it. You need to have a vision for your home, fathers, on where you want your home to go. If you can't visualize it, you'll never attain it. You've got to have a vision for where you're headed. You've got to work through these processes ahead of time. Elders, talk about Carrie and Craig and your congregation, but elders in general, you want to visualize the possibilities of problems that could come into a congregation? You better be looking down the road. You've got to have an ability to look in a spiritual way to potential problems, difficulties. Dads, you better do the same thing. You've got challenges, where your children are going, what direction they're headed, etc. You need to have a vision for where you're headed, what direction you're headed, where your children are going, decisions they're making, how they're making those decisions, what kind of influence we're putting in front of them related to those decisions. Effective leaders put other people first. They love people. First Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of an elder given to hospitality, not covetous. You know what covetous means? You know, if I'm covetous of something, if I'm covetous of the $20 you've got in your pocket, I want it in my pocket, right? That's not loving you. That's not caring about you. That's caring about me. But an effective leader is going to put an other person first. Titus chapter 1, not self-willed, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. That's leadership. That's effective leadership. Effective leaders train other leaders. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2. The things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
There was a preacher years ago who said, who shall be able to teach others also? 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 Guess what? That's how it works. You want your family to do certain things. You want your children to understand certain things. Train them because that's what they're going to do in training their children. I can tell you Ty and Lisa have weaknesses. And I can tell you what breaks my heart is when I see those weaknesses in my own kids. Because I know the struggles that my children have. And there's times I just want to say I'm sorry because the struggles they're having are struggles that I gave them to some extent because they're struggles that Lisa and I have or I have in leadership in our home. Train other leaders. You know what this is about this week? is putting leadership in place for the future of the congregation, a succession of leadership over long periods of time. And I can tell you, and if you're from Plainview, Texas, close your ears for just a moment. I'm not mocking them. I'm not making fun of them. I'm just saying close your ears for just a moment. But I grew up as a very young man, 12 years old, working with Jay Henderson, and we, I had the privilege to sit at the feet of some great men at Plainview. And I think of those men... And I think of W.A. Marshall, and not counting Jay, but Jack Hayes. Great men sat at their feet and saw them work in the church. They were elders of that congregation. Do you know what blows my mind when I think about Plainview? They have had a succession of leaders since 1950-something. Do you know the history of the church? Do you know the problems that have swept through the churches of Christ through the 50s and 60s, that congregation didn't split. That congregation get, didn't get sidetracked and torn and asunder into 30,000 pieces. You, you want me to tell you the story in the Houston area? It's a different story. In the Houston area, we had congregations that had been broken off from to the point that there was just no one left. People had been withdrawn from. It was horrendous times in the church. Can we talk? Can I be real or do I need to be politically correct? They were horrendous times in the church. And so we had a congregation on the south side of Houston with a 30-year-old man who his congregation would no longer work with him because they disagreed with the decision or something along those lines. You had a congregation on the east side of town that, that couldn't work with anybody because they had been withdrawn from. And they were just isolated congregations with young people in them. They didn't have elders. They didn't have deacons. That's a Houston area. First set of elders came in the Houston area among congregations we work with in the mid-70s. That's another 20 years later. They put in guys that were in their 50s in the 70s. And today we don't have but about three congregations in the Gulf Coast area that have elders in them. That's heartbreaking. I would, let me change it. It's four. That's heartbreaking. But I'm telling you, it's a different set of issues. You know what would be great? Our experience has been we started a congregation from the ground up. We, did we have elders? No, we had an evangelist working with them. We didn't have elders in place. And it took 20 or so years to get to where we could put some elders in and that type of thing, deacons in, and it took a process to kind of get there, but we didn't start there. And I want to tell you, it's a struggle. But we had a congregation of people who didn't know how to follow elders. We had a congregation of people, we had men who didn't know how to be elders. 
because they hadn't watched elders anywhere. They didn't have experience with elders. They had never looked at elders. Now go back to Plainview for a moment. There are men sitting in their pew today that are watching their elders work. You know where I saw elders work? It wasn't in Houston. I saw it in Plainview, Texas. And I can tell you a lot of the work that I've been involved in evangelistically has been modeled to some degree, and I, I understand temper this with the we want to follow New Testament pattern of example. I get it. But I can tell you it's been modeled somewhat through the example of leadership at Plainview, Texas. Because they exemplified for me what leadership ought to be. They knew how to lead. They knew how to care for people. They loved people. And a succession of leadership since the 50s. Think about that. That is not easy to do. There are congregations in the Houston area that once had elders, but they did not put in other elders as the years went on. And today they do not have elders. You know how much harder it is to get elders when you don't have elders than it is when you do have elders? Effective leaders train other leaders. You want your young men fathers to grow up and be men of God? Train them to be men of God. Young ladies, you want your daughters to be women of God, godly women, virtuous women? Train them to be virtuous women. That responsibility lies at your feet. Effective leaders train other leaders. Effective leaders believe it can be done. You know, I've sat in some business meetings through the years, and I've got some amazing examples. I think they're amazing. Sat in a business meeting one time. Somebody said, well, we need to evangelize. Somebody else said, we put out 60 flyers on cars back in 1973, and it didn't work, and we just don't see much success in that. Well, there's some great effective leadership. Well, there's some vision for the future. Please lead us, O great one. Please lead us, O wise one. Please lead us, O one that has such great positive Vision for the future for our great congregation. We put out 60 flyers in 1973 and no one came to church, so therefore let's quit evangelizing. That's really what we want out of our leaders. You know the children of Israel escaped from the land of Egypt. Make a long story short, God gave them an opportunity to enter into a promised land. They looked over into that promised land. God said... Send some spies into that land. I'll show you what that land's all about. Do you remember how many spies they sent out? Twelve. They came back. Ten of those spies came back and said, there are giants in that land. There is no way we can overtake that land. It cannot be done. Two of them came back. Do you remember their names? Joshua and Caleb came back and said, with God's help, we can do it. See, it's not about them doing it. It's God's help. We can do it. So we're talking about two guys, Joshua and Caleb, that God had favor with and said, you'll get to enter into that promised land when it's over. But because of those 10 unfaithful spies that had no concern for the future, didn't believe it could be done, had no faith in me, you spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness I tell you, there's a lot of congregations suffering today, and they're wandering in a wilderness because they don't have people of faith leading them. 
They don't have people who recognize that God's on this team leading them. I want to encourage you as leaders today, as fathers today, mothers today in your homes, have a vision for the future, a positive vision for the future. Believe it can be done. When you're standing around in front of your kids going, oh, there's so much trouble. There's absolutely nothing we can do with them. Oh, it's awful. You're training your children. And I promise you, if you don't believe it can be done, it won't be done. Years ago, I used to have to uh, try to help support myself in church work similar today but different. I worked for $50 a day as a substitute teacher. Now, there's some fun. If you want to have a blast, go wrangle kids that you're subbing for for $50 a day. I actually love kids and love the opportunity. But there's a couple of experiences in substitute teaching that stand out in my mind. I went to a special needs class one day, and there was a teacher in that special needs class. Her aide was gone, and they needed somebody, so they called me to sub in there. I made 50 bucks to sit in with that teacher, but this was the regular teacher of that classroom, and not a substitute, a regular teacher in that classroom. And we're talking about some special needs children in that classroom. And I'm sitting there with the teacher. This is the teacher of the classroom who is hired for whatever. Back then, it might have been $20,000 a year. I don't know. But that teacher sat there telling their sub, there's nothing you can do with these kids. That is heartbreaking to me. You are hired to help these children, and you have given up? And I just want to tell you, honestly, that teacher needs to be doing something else besides teaching. That teacher has given up. Those parents are sending those children to that classroom expecting that they're getting some sort of help with these children to teach them, to train them. That teacher has given up. I get the stresses and the challenges and all that. I, I promise you I do. But I'm saying you can't give up and say it can't be done. And the challenge may be great. And maybe all they learn that day is, yes, ma'am. Or maybe all they learn that day is this is a stop sign. I don't know. But I can tell you if you've given up on them, you might as well quit. Because if you don't believe it can be done, it won't get done. In my younger years, I played a little sports. It was very little. I played baseball. And when I say I played, that's stretching it a tad. I sat in a dugout, and I remember one lesson I learned from a coach playing Little League. As I stood in the dugout with my hands in the chain link fence, looking out at my team playing on the field, that'll tell you how involved I was on the team. And I looked at my coach, and we were behind like 23 to 2 or something. And I looked at my coach and I said, there is no way we can win this game. And he said, that's why some of us are out here playing the game and some of us are in the dugout. And I want to tell you, if you're an elder in the church and you've given up, you don't believe we can do church work, we don't believe we can save souls, you don't believe anybody's interested in the gospel anymore, you don't need to be an elder of the church. If you're a deacon in the congregation, you go, this is just nobody's interested anymore. I've just... If you've given up, you don't need to be a deacon. We need leaders. We need leaders who believe the job can be done. We need leaders who are willing to see it in the long run. I am amazed at times of the comments that come out of leaders' mouths. 
that do not have a vision for the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread the kingdom. That's what we're about, brethren. That's why we exist. We want to share the gospel with people. If we're sitting there saying it can't be done, give up and go to the house. You do not need to be leading people. Effective leaders don't dictate. They work. Effective leaders don't sit on a throne and start ordering. They're involved in the work. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1. Man desired the office of a bishop. He desireth a good work. Effective leaders communicate. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 2. An elder is to be apt to teach. Titus 1, verse number 9. Holding fast the faithful word as thou hast been taught, that, you may be, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayer. You know, there's a time you need leaders that can stop someone from doing something they should not be doing. They need to have the ability to, to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 24 is talking about an evangelist. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, patient, apt to teach. Let's put it in order. Apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure would give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. What kind of leader are you? Are you in meekness willing to instruct those that oppose themselves? Effective leaders communicate. Effective leaders lead by example. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 4, one that ruleth well his own house. If a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's being an example. I've done it at home. I can do it here. It's credibility. Effective leaders don't lead by themselves. I don't care what your political persuasion is. This is not a political speech. I'm just talking about a political person. But Ronald Reagan, back in the 80s, was president of the United States. Most people in America would recognize, even if you disagreed with him politically, you would recognize he was an effective communicator and he could lead. Now, if you remember some of the history with Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan fell asleep in front of the Pope. That wasn't why they considered him an effective leader. If you remember Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan also had the Iran-Contra scandal where he said, I don't know, I don't remember. I, I don't think that ever happened. I, w- I wasn't informed of that. And they're going, you don't know. And there was a Saturday Night Live skit that basically had his right-hand guys, his cabinet guys going, well, the reason why you didn't know is we didn't tell you. And he said, yeah, but I'm president of the United States. I'm supposed to know. He said, yeah, but we want to give you plausible deniability, so we didn't want you to know. He said, but I'm president of the United States. I'm supposed to know. And he said, yeah, but you didn't know because we wanted to give you the ability to say you didn't know. That wasn't why he was an effective leader. Those were controversies that happened. But you know why he's recognized as effective leader is because he put effective people around him. He had a team of people that were well-known for communicating. An effective team. I can tell you in church work and my family, et cetera, the stuff that I've been involved in in the church and the things that I've been involved in with our family and things like that, I didn't do by myself. I can tell you the number one person that I had by my side was a wife, a beautiful, caring wife. Now, I could preach, and I'd give a sermon, and we could walk out these doors, and half the congregation would walk by and go, good sermon, good sermon, good sermon, good sermon, good sermon. 
Now, if I listened to all of that, my head would be that big. I couldn't walk through the door. And the reality is, most of them would say that regardless of whether it was a good sermon or not. And you better figure that out, teachers. You better figure that out pretty quick. Because I promise you, they will get up in the pulpit afterwards and go, good sermon, right? I mean, that was really amazing. That was fantastic. And they would say that for the worst sermon that your congregation had because our brethren are not always honest. They're very political. They're very courteous, but they're not always honest about sermons. But if I listen to every criticism of a sermon, people that walked out the building and went, I just don't like what you had to say. I would be so crushed in spirit, I'd never preach again. If I listened to every criticism that had come my way in the last 37 years. But I can tell you who I do listen to. I get in the car on the way home. You want to know whether you got a good sermon or not a good sermon? I can tell you one person that'll be straight up with you. And I'm married to her. I had four daughters. Do not think they would not honestly evaluate the sermon. Good points, weak points, stumbling points, made a mistake, laugh at you. That's the family I've raised, but I can tell you I wouldn't trade for it. You need good people around you, and you need people who you can trust and people that love you. See, I don't doubt that they love me when they're telling me those things. They're trying to help me. I've said some things in the pulpit that I regret saying. Sean, listen to this if you don't mind. I've said some things in the pulpit that I regret saying. And I've sat down afterwards and my wife would look at me and go, don't do that. And I don't ever say it again. It's very corrective. Surround yourself with good people. Recognize good people. And I want to tell you, elders, deacons, you need good people around you. you your fellow deacons, your fellow elders, your wives, your families, you need to deal with each other in real sort of ways. That's what effective leaders do. They're not by themselves. And I'll tell you right now, Carrie and Craig aren't going to stand up in front of you and tell you, you know, back in 1983, the congregation was 12 people, and today it's, look at us. Because they recognize there's a lot of people and a lot of things involved in that. It's not just Carrie and Craig. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 2 an elder, one of the qualifications, a husband of one wife. Effective leaders believe in what they do and who they are. They're confident in who they are. I had a guy, he came into our congregation a couple of years ago, great guy, came off the street, didn't know anything about the Bible, never heard of Sodom and Gomorrah, never heard of Cain and Abel, never heard of Adam and Eve, probably. We've studied with him over the last couple of years a lot of times. In a five-part study, I think we spent 13 or 14 parts on the first part, you know, nothing wrong with that. He just didn't have any background in Bible at all. But he confided in me and told me, we were at the area-wide meeting this year, and he said, what is it about you? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you just know where you're going, you know what you're doing. How do you do that? And I go, his name's AJ. I said, AJ, I said, I've been doing this a long time. Maybe there's a confidence factor or whatever in there. I don't know. He said, well, you know, when I first met you, I thought you were arrogant. And I said, I understand. He said, but as I got to know you, I realized you're not arrogant at all. You just know what you're doing. You know, and I said, but AJ, it's not me. I, I learned that from other people. I spent my life learning. I, I'll share with you the same thing. 
And I said, what do you do for a living? AJ said, I teach algebra. I teach calculus. And I said, do you not think if I sat in your class, you wouldn't stand up in front of the class and go, I know absolutely nothing about what I'm doing teaching you calculus. I've never seen, I've never seen a number before. That's not what a calculus guy would do. The guy's got a master's degree in math. Do you think I would sit in his class and learn something from him? You bet. Do you think he would know what he's doing? You bet. Do you think Ty would have a clue what he's talking about? No. Would it take 13 or 14 lessons to get me through the first chapter of calculus? Yes. Is he arrogant because he knows his field? You see my point? What we need in this room is a congregation of people who know where they're going and know what they're doing. You know, one of the qualifications given to the deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 9, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. I love that verse. You know what that basically says? You want deacons who know who they are and where they're going and what they're about. They know what they believe in. Verse 16 defines what the mystery is. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, was received up into glory. Do you want deacons who don't believe that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit? No. You want elders that don't believe that? No, you want guys who know what they're doing. You want guys who know what they believe in. Holding the, fact, the faithful word as thou hast been taught. You want elders to hold on to that. Effective leaders are courageous. There's a story about a 19th century preacher named Peter Cartwright who was preparing to deliver a sermon one Sunday when he was warned that President Andrew Jackson was going to be in attendance. He was asked to keep his remarks inoffensive. During that message, he included these statements. I've been told that Andrew Jackson is in this congregation. I've been asked to guard my remarks. What I must say is that Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent of his sin. And after the sermon, Jackson went up to Cartwright and he said, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. He had enough courage to preach the truth regardless of who was listening, who was in attendance. Don't get me wrong, he didn't say the president was going to hell. What did he say? He said he's going to hell if he doesn't repent of his sins. And guess what's true today? You're going to hell if you don't repent of your sins. That's true for every one of us. Ty will go to hell if he doesn't repent of his sins. And we need the courage to preach the gospel. You need to repent of your sins. You need to change your life. That's what the church is about. It's what the gospel's about, to give people hope at the resurrection. Are you in sin today? You want leaders of your congregation who are not afraid of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not ashamed of it. They recognize it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Effective leaders lead. They don't check to see which way the wind's blowing. Figure out what the pulse is of the congregation first and then run out there in front of them. That's not effective leaders. Effective leaders, I know this sounds so simple, but it is so challenging. Lead. That's what we need are leaders. Lead. We've had some presidents at times that kind of had to take a poll to figure out what the pulse of America was before they decided what 
what positions they were going to take on something. That doesn't show a lot of character. One of the greatest examples to me in Scripture is the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. We're talking about Jews that were establishing the Jew tradition and culture. Gentiles are now coming to the kingdom. Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. Acts chapter 11, the church at Antioch. They had a problem happening in Acts 15. They had Judaizing teachers coming and saying that these Gentiles had to be circumcised. They had a problem. So the church leaders came together. And I just want you to picture this for a moment. In Acts 15, Jewish people getting together. We're talking about James and, and Peter and others that got together and they're, and they're making a decision. What are we going to do with this problem? It's a Gentile problem. These dirty Gentiles that live like adulterous, meat-eating pig-eating, nasty Gentiles. We're Jewish people. We're going to get together and we're going to discuss these people. And you know, when they came to a conclusion in Acts 15, if you ever looked at that story, it amazes me. You know what the Gentiles did? The Gentiles rejoiced in the consolation. They rejoiced in the decision that was made. Did the people at Jerusalem, did the leaders of the church at Jerusalem make the decision based only on whether you were a Jew or a Gentile? No. They made a decision on what was right and wrong. They came up with a decision on that. Acts chapter 16, they went and rehearsed that. The Gentiles went and told others, this is the decision that was made. Hebrews 13, verse number 17, obey them that had the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your soul, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable unto you. Do you know what's not good for you as a congregation? Is to have elders that serve in grief. That is not good for you as a congregation. You know what it's not good for you as a family? You know what it's not good for your children? Is for you as a father to lead with grief. Make it hard on him, that'll help. What is that, skeptometer? Make it hard on your elders. That'll help your congregation. Good plan. Great leadership. Good job. In our congregation at home, we were building a church building. I'm just going to tell you a story. Love these people. Love both sides of these people. But on one side, we had some people came to the elders, and they said, if you put a steeple on this building, we're not happy. Thank you for letting us know. We appreciate that very courteous of you. We had some other people came to us and said, if you don't put a steeple in this building, we just want to let you know we're not happy. We're going to let you know we're not happy. Well, thank you. That was very informative. It's very clear. You're not happy if we don't put a steeple, and you're not happy if we do put a steeple. Good job. Now, after this sermon's over, if you're interested in hearing how the rest of that story went, I'll be happy to tell you the rest of that story. But let me tell you the points I want to make out of it. Number one, that's not fair to your eldership. Let me tell you what's fair, to sit down with your elders and say, I'm concerned about some things. Let's talk. Let's analyze. Let's look at some scripture. Let's, let's, let's visit about this. I've got some concerns about it. That's fair. All day long, elders do that. But to say, I'm leaving if I don't get my way, that's not fair. And then the other side said, I'm leaving if I don't get my way. That's not fair. 
Fair's having a discussion. Fair's talking about it. Fair's studying about it. But Fair's not putting demands on leadership. Leaders have a very difficult job, and you just made their job harder. You help them lead in grief. Help them stay awake at night. Good job, people. Good job. That's not the way to have effective leadership. You want your leaders leading with joy and not with grief. You know what with leading with joy means? I'll tell you what it means in our congregation. We got a young man that came up to our deacons and said, I'll take care of the trash in the bathroom. You don't have to worry about it, deacon. It's not on your plate. I'll take care of it. I can tell you, you want to make a, a, a leader lead with joy? You. I tell you what, I'm going to come to you and let you know I will straighten the books in the auditorium. Wasn't even asked. It's not on your plate. I'll take it. That one's on me. You want to talk about leaders leading with joy? They can lead with joy. Man, that's leaders going, thank you. You guys are taking loads off our plate. Several years ago, Jerry and I signed a $400,000 note for a church building. The building cost a million dollars, but we signed a note for $400,000. Do you know I have never signed a note in my life for $400,000? My first house I bought, I signed a note for $32,000. And my hand shook signing the note. Now, trust me, as the years have gone on, I've gotten better at it. I can very calmly sign paperwork nowadays, not look as nervous in the process. But you want to talk about elders leading with grief? Give me contributions on a Sunday of $400, and we got to pay a note on $400,000. You want to talk about leading with grief? You want to talk about leading with joy? Contributions, $3,800. Thank you. I can't write that check. But we got a congregation of people that are working together as a team. You want to talk about leading with joy? Put it in real practical terms for you. That's leading with joy. You want to talk about leading with joy? After a sermon, we got young men in the, audit, in the, in the foyer area going, hey, man, I love the sermon. But let, let's talk about that passage that you brought up. Let's analyze that. What did that say? You know, have you thought about this angle of it or whatever? They love the Word of God. You want to talk about leading with joy? Find a congregation of people who love the Word of God. We'll lead with joy. You want to talk about leading with grief? Oh, the temperature in here, it's too cold. Oh, the temperature, it's too hot. All on the same service from different people. Hardest job in the world. Be in charge of the thermostats. You want to lead with grief? And you can be the person in the congregation that's the constant griper and complainer, or you can be the person who helps your leaders lead with joy. And it's a mindset. Effective leaders get results. I don't know what it is, but there are guys who can make it happen, or ladies that can make it happen. Years ago, they started a church in Spring, Texas. They had decided, Coy Potter was involved in some of what was happening back in those days. If you remember Brother Coy... He had moved to Spring, live in Spring for a period of time to work with the church there as an evangelist. They were talking about working in a school, starting off meeting in a school. 
Several people had gone up to school and they said, no, we don't, we don't let people, we don't let church groups meet in our schools. We just don't do that. We had a brother involved in that, one of the church leaders in the area that said, I'll go talk to him. He went upstairs and talked to the school district people about it. You know what he came down with? A key. <laughs> I don't know what he did. I do not know what he did. I do not know what he said. But I can tell you that's the kind of guy that gets results. He knew what to talk about. He knew how to approach it. Effective leaders get results. Effective leaders look for ways to accomplish things. I operate a company now to help support my church work habit. I've got a son-in-law that works for me. I've got a couple other people that work for me. But, but part of what we do is pest control. We have spray rigs in the back of trucks, and they go and spray houses, things like that. I've not personally sprayed a house in seven or eight years, but we operate a business that does that. But I'm standing there with guys who I love dearly. They're great guys. But I'm standing there, and they're at the back of the truck, and their pump won't work, and their rig won't work, and they're going, my rig won't work. I don't know what to do. My rig won't work. My pump won't work. What am I going to do? Have you called someone? Did you call Solutions? Did you call Univar? Did you, call some, did you ask them who they would use to fix a pump? Did you buy a pump? Is it me? Do I need to fix the pump? Do I need to fix the, the motor on the reel? Do I, is it me? Do you not have the resources? Do you need the credit card to go pay for it? What's the issue? There are people who stand and look at a job, and there are people who try to solve the problem. There's a difference. And you want leaders who can get results. Titus chapter 1, verse number 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. You want leaders who can stop people from saying things they should not say and subverting whole houses. Leaders that get results. You want leaders that take responsibility for their decisions. It's real easy to place blame on other people. We like to do that. It's someone else's fault. We're human beings. That's what they did in the garden. Adam said, it's this woman who you gave me. Somehow it was God's fault. We love blaming other people. But if you really want effective leadership, you're going to, effective leadership's going to say, I take responsibility for that. I'm going to make it happen. If it doesn't happen, it lies at my feet. I'm not blaming somebody else for it. It's going to happen. Hebrews 13, verse number 17, elders have to give account that means they answer for it on the day of judgment, what they're doing. And I can tell you from the time I took an eldership in our congregation to a few years ago, we struggled on some things. A couple of years ago, Jerry and I just said, you know, if we're going to be elders of this thing, we're going to eld. We're going to take responsibility for it. At the end of the day, it'll, it'll die or it'll succeed, but we're going to take responsibility for it. Let me tell you what happened. We had a young man got up and gave an awful sermon. It was awful. And I just want to say, when I say awful, I mean awful. It was horrendous. Awful. I sat there in the pew and heard the sermon. Brother Jerry wasn't there. 
I debated, do I say something publicly? He's a young guy. Do I crush him? It was awful. I'm telling you, it was awful. I debated and I decided I'm going to let it roll. And I'm, first phone call I made after church was, Jerry, you need to get a CD of that sermon. You need to listen to it. We need to talk to that young man. We've got to do better than this. This is not good for us as a congregation. Jerry agreed to do that, et cetera. So that's on Sunday night. On Monday, we had a plan in place on when we were going to visit this young man. We did not know that on Wednesday night, he was preaching at Baytown. Guess what he talked on? Awful. On Thursday, my phone went to ringing from Baytown. What in the world are y'all teaching up there? I go, I get it. It was awful. He's our young man. We'll deal with it. We'll talk to him. But I will say in defense of us, we didn't invite him to come preach at Baytown. You could have called us. We would have warned you. But you called the young man, and he came and gave you a sermon, and it was awful. But, you know, we sat down with that young man not long after that. And I can tell you, it changed some things in our congregation. We sat down with that young man, and we said, listen, we need to talk about this because it's not good. But let me start off with an apology. And I apologize to that young man. You know why I apologize? Because I should have talked to him Sunday night. I didn't. And I let him get to Wednesday to go preach somewhere on an awful sermon. And we determined from that moment on, we're not doing that anymore. If we've got something to say about a sermon, we may not do it publicly, but we're going to talk. And it may be after the sermon, it'll be a phone call, whatever. We'll talk about good points, bad points, etc. We're not trying to crush our speakers. We're just not going to let our young men go to another congregation and destroy himself. Because I didn't have the wisdom to talk to him about it soon enough. And I apologize to the young man. The young man took it very well, amazed. And in fact, my cred- his credibility went way up in my life. Because he listened to us and talked to us. And he said, you know, upon reflection, that probably would have been better at a men's gathering to throw out as a Bible idea, you know, or something to, to, to talk about, some red meat out in a Bible discussion than to preach from the pulpit. And we went, exactly right. He knew. He found something on the internet that wasn't everyday topics. And he's trying to look for something new and different. And he found it. And it was obvious where he got it from. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, elders have to take responsibility and they've got to to give account for what happens. And I can tell you from that moment on, we're determined in our congregation that we're going to take account, we're going to be accountable, and we're going to be responsible for what happens in the teaching part, especially of our congregation. And in other aspects of our congregation, we're overseers. Effective leaders are willing to go through the fire. And all I'd say here is this is the all-in mentality. The Apostle Paul said it didn't matter if it was shipwreck, it didn't matter if it was torture, it didn't matter what it was, he was going to accomplish what needed to be accomplished for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And until we get that mindset across our congregations, all across the nation, and all across the world, that we're all in, and it doesn't matter what it is, we're going to try to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. That's what effective leaders do. We can sit back and we can, we can not care and we can live our own lives, but I can tell you that's not going to get the gospel preached. 
Effective leaders love the lost. They care about the church. Their heart is for the church. Effective leaders don't just talk. They do. Effective leaders have wisdom. They show wisdom. They're not a novice. They're sober. Strong meat belonging to them who are of full age, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's what effective leaders do. Effective leaders recognize that their decision affects people's lives. Be careful the decisions you make. For a long time, the Swiss had a lock on watchmaking. They built the best watches money could buy, and by the 1940s, they produced 80% of all watches worldwide. In the late 1960s, when an inventor of a, presented an idea for a new type of watch, the leaders of the Swiss watch company rejected it. In fact, every Swiss company he approached had the same negative reaction. Believing his design had merit, the man took it to a company in Japan. The name of the organization was Seiko. The design of the watch was digital. And today, 80% of all watches are made digitally. Be careful the decisions you make. One decision can change the entire course of one soul. Be careful the decision you make. I will tell you that life typically is a series of one decisions. It really is. It leads you down paths. Be careful the decisions you make. Have wisdom in those decisions. Effective leaders recognize the importance of the decision. This morning, we're going to offer an invitation. Grab your songbook, if you would. Maybe you're here this morning, and you've not obeyed a call to Christ. Maybe you've never been obeyed the gospel. You've never been baptized into Christ. You've never been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And I just want to tell you, we're going to sing a song, and it's during this song you have an opportunity. You make your way to the front. You can sit on the front bench. Your elders here will assist you. Your leaders here will help you determine what kind of spiritual needs there may be. I just want to tell you that while we're singing this song, what's the name of the song? One of the brethren? All things are ready. Come to the feast. We're going to be singing all things are ready. Come to the feast. When that song's being sung, you can sit there and sing the song and not care. You can sit there and sing the song and hang on to the chair in front of you. Or you can evaluate yourself and say, I need to be careful the decision I make. If you're not in Christ and you walk out these doors not in Christ, you are subject to going to hell if you don't repent of your sin. And I just want to encourage you today, be careful the decision you make because one decision can change the entire course of one soul. And this morning, at this time, at this song, this decision could be the one that changes the course of your eternity. Be careful the decision you make. You want to change your family? You want to change the family dynamic? Lead your family. Effectively lead your family in Christ. Maybe you're a mom. Effectively lead your family in Christ. Lead them. Lead your children. Lead them. Teach them. Instruct them. Help them. Be careful the decision you make. Because one decision can change the course of one's eternal destiny. We're going through a leadership evaluation for the congregation this week. Be careful the decisions you make. Honor it. It needs to come with sincerity. It needs to come with gravity. It needs to come with 
with seriousness. Be careful the decision you make because one decision can change the entire course of a congregation. Just be careful. You've got an opportunity right now to make a decision. And we're going to sing this song. And if the church can help you in some way, make that decision today a decision to come to Christ. Won't you come while we stand?